0: This morning, go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 14. Actually, I want you to put your finger in two places. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, and Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. These are the two Proverbs we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, And so, um, yeah, go ahead and turn there. And we're going to actually begin with the text. I don't have an uh, introduction for you this morning. Uh, We're going to begin with the text and get rolling with it. Uh, now it's called, I, I most times I never actually tell you the title of sermons. Um, I just, I just feel like it's awkward. Like the sermon this morning is titled. Like, I just feel like that's like way old school. And, uh, but this morning I called it Holy Farmers. And so, uh, Brent was making jokes with me about, it. I was going to turn this into a Texas A&M thing. We're going to do the chant, like the farmer's fight. We're not going to do that this morning. But if we were really Holy Farmers, we would. Um, But no, go ahead and turn to chapter 14, verse 4, and here's what it says. It says, where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty, but an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty, but an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. Of an ox. Now, turn over to chapter 20, verse 4, but keep your finger back in 14, because that's where we're going to go back in just a second. 20, verse 4 says, The slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time, he looks, and there is nothing. The slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time, he looks, and there is nothing. So, in reading through the Proverbs, I, when I when we were getting together the elder preaching series for this summer, I put together a list of like thirty two different topics. Um, like here's like here's some here's topics, here's verses that correspond with it. And so I said, here, just take your pick, uh, look through these and see what sounds good to you. And uh, and so, uh, but I never actually did that. And so as I was reading through it, I'm like, you know what? What sounds interesting? And actually, this verse. Uh, stood out to me in verse fourteen because I mean chapter fourteen verse four because as reading it as I was just reading it through a Bible reading plan at one point I remember look at this text and you get to some proverbs and you're like what does that mean I have no clue what that's even talking about and like if you stop for a moment you have to stop and you have to think about it like what is actually going on in this text and so we're pretty not agrarian at least I'm not um, I've got a raised flower bed in my backyard um, that I've planted this year, I've spent $300 on, uh, zero fruit so far. Um, and these things are pretty, they're rinky dink. They're like, I thought these things would grow up and get awesome and like have a ton of banana peppers and jalapeno. And all. Nothing, man. These things are still as small as when I bought them and I can't figure this out. So I was like, eh, what, what, when it comes to proverbs about agriculture, what does this have to do with me? Because I can just go to Walmart and buy whatever food I need and just not worry about it. And so I'm like, I'm looking at the text. And I'm like, what is, what is going on with this? Well, if you stop and think about it for a moment, here's what it says. Where there are no oxen, the feeding trough is empty. But an abundant harvest comes through the strength of an ox. Well, if you stop and think about it for a moment, you're like, wait a second. He's saying, if you don't have an ox, there is no food for the feeding trough. But if you want food, if you want a harvest, you got to have an ox. It's all about investment. He's saying if you want to get a certain outcome in your life, be it food on the table or something otherwise, you have to invest something in order to get there. If you don't have the tools, you're not going to get the job done. And so when I said this to the elders, I I put this one verse by itself, and here's the title I gave it. You really needed that new Milwaukee tool. Because if you don't have that new Milwaukee tool... You're not getting that deck built in your backyard. you got to have it in order to get the job done. So that's what he's talking about here. If you don't invest, you won't get the result you need. Getting the result you need takes investment from you. Now, the second one, the second verse in chapter 20 says this, The slacker doesn't plow during planting season, and at harvest time he looks, and there's nothing. Now, how does this correspond with the previous Verse. Well, the first one is about investing to get the right tools for the job. This one is about actually putting those tools to use. If you want to see the harvest, if you amass the tools, you have to actually pick it up and put it to work to get the result you want. That's what he's talking about in these two pair, these two proverbs. And so, it's actually two sides of the same process, right? He's talking about two sides of the same process. If you want to see a certain result in your life, you have to invest to get there, and you have to put those new tools to use in order to see an outcome. That's what he's saying. Now, most of us have seen Top Gun, I'm assuming, like the new new Top Gun, because everyone's talking about how awesome it is. If you haven't, I'm sorry. You need to go see it. Uh, Darren and I went and saw it. Uh, it was the first movie she and I have gone to the movie to go see uh, in years, and because uh, we've got a bunch of kids and they all take up our time. So we went to go to Top, we went to Top Gun and it was awesome, okay? The whole movie, I was just like super engaged. I loved this movie. I thought it was the coolest movie ever. And Dara, I walked out and Dara, I was like, dude, how did you, what did you think of it? And she's like, I mean, it was good. I don't think it was probably as awesome as you think it was awesome, but that's fine. But you know what was happening as I was walking out of the Top Gun, uh, out of the theater? I was googling what are the age limits to get into the Top Gun flight school. And there's still hope for me. I've got a year left. Okay? Their age limit is 33. That's the cap. I'm 32. I still have time to make it. Okay? Now I'm like you know I'm I'm re- I'm in my early 30s. I'm reaching the point in my life to where like I'm looking at most professional athletes and they are like younger than me and it makes me sad. Like Des Bryant has been retired. He's a dinosaur. He and I are the same age, okay? But I'm looking at Top Gun, and I'm like, I could still do it. I can get in. But you know what hasn't happened? The U.S. Navy has not sent me an invitation to the Top Gun flight school. You know why? I have invested nothing to get there. I've invested zero to get into the Top Gun flight school. I have never even talked to a Navy recruiter. I've never flown a plane. I've never come close to flying a plane. I've never, like, I haven't done anything to get into that school. But I can look at that and think, oh, man, that would be so cool to be a Top Gun pilot. And I was listening to a podcast about a Blue Angel pilot who was in the Top Gun school. And he was talking about what it was like in there. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. I want to go do that. But have I done anything to get there? No. No. I've done zero to get there. I've invested nothing. And so therefore the outcome of getting and becoming a top gun pilot has not happened in my life. And it won't. Probably not. Maybe. We'll see. But now (laughs) there's a when you're looking at these proverbs, there is a wide range of application for where you could take this, right? Because if it's talking about investing and in, getting the tools and then putting them to work in your life to get the outcome that you're desiring, there's thousands of applications to where you could take this or invest, like, apply this in your life. There's two that I want to, actually two that I want to get, and then we're going to get into the what's the, where am I really going with this? One, the, the main one here, if you just take it to the simplest form, he's talking about food. and If you don't work, you don't eat. But a second one is this. And this is common for us, just one application that's kind of a side application for us. But it can have to do with your friendships, friendships are community. Now, here's the reality, is that for, uh, for most of us, actually, everyone in this room feels lonely. It's not just you. It's everyone. Everyone feels lonely. Everyone is waiting on an invitation to go to eat at someone else's house. Everyone's waiting on it. It's not just you. I promise. In fact, I remember I was feeling this way the other day a uh, while back, and I remember talking, we were in the elder room, and I, I said it to the elders, and I was like, just being honest, guys, I'm just feeling kind of lonely. And, uh, and we went on around the room, and literally everyone in the room said the same thing. Yeah, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. So we just kind of hugged each other for a while. We just, no, we did. But, but, we were, but we were talking about, like, wait, wait a second. Like, this is not, like, it's not just, like, once we get it in the open, you're like, wait, it's not just me. It's everyone. Everyone feels this way, and so what, how does this apply to this verse? Well, here's the thing, is if you desire to develop close friendships, you desire to develop the feeling of being around someone else, the love of being around someone else, then you need to invest something to get the outcome that you want, Because most of us are waiting on the invitation to go to someone else's house. But here's the truth of the verse. What it's telling you and me today is that if you want the outcome of deep friendships, then you be the catalyst to invite someone to your house. Fight your loneliness by battling someone else's with them. Invite them over. How do you invest? You get a few extra groceries for one extra dinner and then you invite someone else to come over for that dinner with you, and now what are you doing? You're having someone else in your home, and someone else is pumped because they got invited to come to your home. You're battling your loneliness while battling someone else's. You're investing in creating the outcome that you want, which is a friendship, which is community. It's amazing. I've, and so listen to 14.4. If you just take out certain words and put in new ones, listen to this. 14.4 Where there are no invitations, the friendships and the hearts are empty, but abundant friendships come through invitations. Isn't that amazing? Now, like I said, there are literally thousands of applications for where you could take this in your life, but I want to hone in on uh, a decidedly Jesus-centric one, considering where we are. Uh, but listen, Jesus picks up these themes, actually, in Matthew chapter, chapter 25. So in Matthew chapter 25, he tells a parable in chapter, verse 14 about talents as a sum of money. And so he tells a parable, and there was a dude who owned a lot of, had, had a lot of fields, owned a lot of stuff, and he had three servants who worked for him. And he was going to go away on a long trip. He was going down to Surfside. And so he was going away on a long trip. He was going to be there for a while. And so he, came, he drew, he called his servants to come in. And he said, hey, guys, I got a lot of money. I'm going to give each one of you some money, some capital to invest. And I want you to go and invest it for me. When I come back, I'm going to see you return. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll celebrate together. And so here's the result of that. Two of the servants came back and doubled their money. They took what the master gave them and they invested it and they produced a harvest of 100% return. The third guy took his master's money and buried it in the ground because he had wrong thinking about what his master was like. And so he said, listen, if I'm just going to, if I just. Keep things equal. If I just give you back what's yours, then we're just gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be equal. And you know, I, I can just move on and I don't have to worry about you getting mad at me or me losing some money or me taking a risk. I'm just not gonna take a risk. I'm just gonna do, I'm just gonna give you your money back. And when the master came back, he 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 saw that and he's like, You evil servant. And it didn't go well for him. Because the master gave him something to invest on his behalf, and he did nothing with it. Now I want to take a step back from the weeds of that parable to tell you to look at one thing that r- arises from it. Because Jesus is talking about his kingdom. He's the master. and He's talking about his kingdom, and he says, I have people who work for me. I have servants, and that's you, and that's me. He says, I have servants who I've given things to invest for the sake of my kingdom. And so he says, now, take it and do something with it. But there's uh, like a theme that arises from that reality that is actually good and beautiful, if you stop and think about it. Because what that teaches you and me is that Jesus invites you to be a part of developing His harvest. Like, He invites you to do it. He invites you to come and be a part of developing his kingdom. You and me, with all of our faults, with all of our sins, Jesus in his grace comes and he says, come on, come sow seed with me. Come sow with me. I'm going to give you the tools you need. I'm going to give you the thing, give you direction on what to, to, what to develop. And you take this and you go invest it and create fruit all over the world. In your life, in your family's life, in your community's life, in Cambodia. You go take this and develop it in the world. And develop, you develop my kingdom. Jesus says that to you and me. And I know, like I know how messed up I am. Like, I know, like my, I know the problems that I create in my life. I know the problems I create in my family. I know this about me, but Jesus still looks at me and says, Yes, I want you. You're on my team. Here, take this. Go invest this for me. The God of the universe trusts you and me to go and do that. It's amazing. It's, like, it's a beautiful thing. Here's the, here's the background for sowers. The background for sowers is that you and I were alienated from God. We were completely separate from him because of our rebellion, but now God has drawn near to us by Jesus' blood. So now you, who were formerly not God's people, have been brought into being God's people through the gospel. Through, like, you were made into being part of Christ's body. But now it's not just so that he could just put up with you. He doesn't just do it so that way you can just like be the, 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 the kid in the corner that he just doesn't really care about. You're the one who always messes up a lot. You keep going back to that sin. You keep, you know, you're the one who's there and you're kind of in the party, but you're off in the corner by yourself. You're not in the cool kid group who's sitting around the table having fun together. You're not like, no, no, no. He doesn't want you just in the house, in the corner. He says, no, no, no. Come here come with me. Let me come beside you. I'm going to give you the things to invest. I want you to come and be a part of what I'm building. I want you to create this harvest. That's amazing. You see, your faith in Christ, your conversion, your, the moment of your salvation in your life, when you said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I admit I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. Now I'm going to pursue you with my life. That point called conversion is not just a get out of hell free card. And it's not just a fix to the problems in your life. It's not a fix. I was actually talking to Jennifer Covington about this, Jennifer and Adam about this. and she pointed this out, and I thought it was brilliant. She's like, Salvation's not a fix to problems in your life, it's a new beginning. And she's so right. It's a new beginning. It's the first moment in your life in which you recognize that you are sinful and that God is good. God is the standard for what's good. And so now you're, what you're doing is you're taking the step to align your life and your heart in the direction of where you're heading with him and his goals and his purposes. That's what salvation is. That's the beginning point. That's, what he, that's what's happening. So now, when Jesus put the bridge between you and the Father, you are now saying, Jesus, you made the way to the Father, and now I'm going to pursue you and follow you and not live for myself anymore. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I mean chapter 5. He says he saved them so that they would no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them. That's what salvation is. It's a beginning point. And so it's interesting. Check this out. This salvation is actually a reversal of what happened with Adam and Eve. It's a reversal of it. See, in Genesis chapter 2, what were Adam and Eve called to do? God created Adam in Genesis chapter 2, and what did he call him to do? He put him in that garden, and what did he say? He said, rule over it, govern it, and watch over it. Create a harvest from it. He made Adam to be a farmer. He said, this is your domain, and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to cultivate this land, and you're supposed to produce a harvest in this land, spread the boundaries of Eden all over the world. That's what your job was to do. They were supposed to be holy farmers. That was the job for him. Work it and watch out for it. Produce a harvest. And here's what's crazy. Here's what's crazy. You... By acknowledging God's goodness, that his ways are the best, his ways are the standard for what's good, and then by aligning your life according to him through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are actually battling against the very lie that deceived Adam and Eve back in the garden and the one who spoke it, the great dragon, Satan himself. Isn't that crazy? It's like when you follow Jesus and you're like, man, I'm going to pursue him and I'm going to follow him because what he says is best, you're battling against the very lie that Adam and Eve fell through. You're battling that. Why? Because what was the lie? God doesn't have your best interest at heart, God's not really for you. And if you do what you want to do, then you'll be happy. Is God even present? Is God even around? Does He even exist? And if he is, does he even care about you? And that was the lie that was going into Adam and Eve's head when God said, I want you to be holy farmers for me. And all of a sudden, what did they do? They said, no. We believe that what we think is best, and we're going to pursue this instead. But now you by the blood of Jesus Christ, can reverse that. And you, by following Jesus Christ, you're saying, no, 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 that lie is false. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to pursue and believe that what his ways are best. And I'm going to follow what he says. I'm going to align my life with him and pursue him. And so now, by doing that, by living out your faith in Christ, you are standing with the army of God against the powers of hell. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So you can see with this background then, you can see with this background that investing to gain spiritual tools and putting them to work in your life to bring about the harvest that Christ desires both in us and in our world is actually a display of yours and my great salvation. That's what it is when you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to invest to gain the tools that you want me to have and I'm going to put those to work in my life to create the harvest that you desire in this world then what you're displaying for all of heaven is that you are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and your great salvation is at work in the world. That's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. It says that God's ways are best God's ways are best, and we can know that they are good and for our good. How? Because He's in it. He's in it. Now, here's a question for us with that background. So, okay, I want to be a farmer. I want to be a holy farmer for God. Okay, I want to do this. I want to invest in the tools. I want to follow Him. Here's the question then What are the tools? What am I supposed to be investing in? And what does a harvest actually look like if I'm following Jesus? Like, What do these things say? Well, I'm not making these up. Jesus gives us two graces. Jesus talks about, we hear in the New Testament about two graces that are given to you and me as followers of Jesus. And here's what they are. Here are the tools for you to invest in. The Word of God and the church. The word of God and the church. And I'm not making this up. Here's, here's where this comes from. In John chapter 15, in John chapter 15, verse 1 through 3, Jesus says this I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. You don't want to be that. And catch this what does he say? And he prunes, remember that word, he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. But then he turned to his disciples. And he said this in verse 3, you are already clean. Remember that word, clean, because of the word I have spoken to you. In this text, Jesus talks about the method for creating true disciples, the method for pruning his people, the method for for helping his people along in their salvation, their sanctification process of becoming people like him, to produce harvests for him. Here's what he just said. Remember I said, what were the two words I said? Remember, prune and clean? Those are the same words. They're the same thing in here. I don't, know why, I don't know why the translations do that, but they're the same, come from the same root. And so here's what Jesus just said. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. But he prunes every branch that produces fruit, every true believer, he prunes to produce more fruit. And you might think, okay, well, he's talking about hard times or sad days or he's pruning you through circumstances. like, no, that's not true. Because what does Jesus say in verse 3? He says this, you are already pruned. Why? Because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus says his words are the method of pruning God's people. So the question is, is how do you invest to become a good holy farmer for Christ? How do you create a harvest for Christ? You, number one, you invest in the Word of God because the Word of God is the method for pruning you. Isn't that crazy? It's pretty cool. It's not some crazy thing. You don't have to, like, go on some long trip of self-discovery. You don't have to go travel through India on barefoot. Like, no, no, it's not anything like that. It's investing in the Word of God it's investing in the word of God. Now, I've already see, I've seen this in my life over the past year and many of you have actually seen it. You just didn't realize it. So, before prior to this year, I always had a reading Bible reading plan. But I always struggled for consistency with it. I always struggled with maintaining it daily and uh, maintaining like where I'm at so I would read, you know, this book and then I kind of like, okay, what am I going to read next? I go to this book next. But this year, starting January 1st or 2nd or 3rd, somewhere in there, I started going through uh, the Bible recap um, plan. It's a chronological Bible plan through the, through the whole year, and I've been doing it with, uh, with JT and Brent and Casey, and uh, we've been reading through, the, through that, uh, that plan together, and you know what's been interesting ever since I've been reading through this plan? My demeanor has been calmer. I have felt more at peace. This is all anecdotal, I know that, but I've felt more at peace. But also, I've had more joy in being here and more joy in preparing sermons. So I've actually heard from several of you this year. You're not like I've heard from multiple people this year. This one notwithstanding, I don't know how this one's going, but but I've heard from several people this year, like, man, your sermons this year have felt like they just have more energy. Like, they felt like they just have have more behind them. And, you know, why? I, I, for a while I was like, you know, I guess so. I feel like it's been fine. And then it kind of hit me. No, I have had more energy. I have felt better. I have worked harder in studying or preparing them. Why? I believe it's because I have been investing in my Bible reading plan. I'm serious. I've been in the Word of God daily, and it's been pre- creating fruit of joy in, cre- in doing going through the processes with me. I, I really believe that. And I'm not saying that because I'm like, oh man, look how great it is. I, what I'm saying is I spent 31 years having a horrible track record of Bible reading, but this year it's it's been different. I've had it's been consistent, and I've noticed how it's changed my demeanor towards what I'm doing here. And I've, so it's it's been I've 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 really been enjoying it. It's been fun. And so, I've seen that. So, the investment in the Word of God creates fruit within you to produce a harvest for Christ. The second thing is this. The first one's the Word of God. The second one is this, the church. The second grace that, that Christ gives you and me to become holy farmers for Him, and it's the church. Because when you are when you were not a Christian, before you became a believer, you were, you were outside of the people of God. But then what happened when you aligned your life with Christ, when you said, Jesus, I believed you died for me, and I'm going to pursue you with my life, what happened? He brings you in to the people of God. You are now one of God's chosen people. And then what, how do these chosen people manifest themselves? In Local churches. Local churches. This is the visible church of Christ. And so the more you invest in being around God's people, the more that he will use them to develop you to become a holy farmer. Why? Because the church is the place for correction with one another. Because you cannot be a Christian on your own. Or you can, but it's difficult. It's called the lone wolf thing. It's a disaster in 99% of the cases. You need other people around you to be able to encourage you in your faith, to encourage you in pursuing righteousness, to encourage you in your Bible reading, to encourage you in how you're treating your kids, to encourage you, to correct you when you're wrong, to correct wrong thinking in your head that's leading you to be anxious all the time, all the time, over and over and over. You're just in a cycle of being anxious, 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 and you need people in the church to say, listen, you need to hear from God. You need to stop. You need to pause. You need to pray about it. But if you're on your own, you don't have these other other voices speaking into your life. Also, the church is the place for development. This is ground zero for ministry and ministry training. It's what Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. What does he say? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 that God gives us what pastors and teachers to do what? To equip us for the work of the ministry. Our job as pastors and elders here is to equip all of you to do the work of ministry. This is where you get equipped. That's what Hebrews chapter four tells us. I mean, Hebrews chapter ten. Hebrews chapter ten says, "Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how. Let's consider one another, in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Invest in your church. Invest in our church because it's a grace to you from Christ. And so those are the two means of investing, the, the Word of God and the church of God. But here's the thing. What's the harvest? What's the harvest? Well, sticking with the, with the food theme, what does Jesus say? What are you going to produce at harvest time? Fruit. Fruit, in a general sense. I mean, corn, you're not going to call it whatever. Well, what does Jesus say is fruit? Well, in John, he tells us, he tells us fruit. Actually, in this, in this uh, John chapter, uh, chapter 15, he tells us what fruit is. One, one thing that fruit is are other believers, other Christians, like new believers. And so, the, so, are you seeking in your life to help other people come to know who Jesus is? That's one avenue of creating fruit of creating a harvest for Christ. What does he say at the, end of the Ma- at the end of Matthew in the Great Commission? What does he say? Go and make disciples of all nations. That's one avenue of creating fruit. But here's the second one. What does Paul tell us in Galatians? New believers, but then also for you and me, there's a fruit of Christ likeness of becoming like Jesus. The goal of your faith is to become like Him, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These fruit are things that the Spirit wants to develop within you. And the more you invest in the Word of God and the people of God, the more that you will become like Christ and the more you will seek to develop new believers. That's the goal. That's the goal. So, listen to this. Proverbs 20, verse 4. Just listen. The slacker does not put into action the word of God, nor the people of God. The slacker does not put into action the word of God, nor the people of God. Here, I I switched that out. That's not the actual verse. (laughs) The slacker does not put into action the word of God, nor the people of God. At harvest time, he looks, and there is nothing. And so what do you want to do? Invest. Invest, be the holy farmer, because that is what Christ desires to do in you. So the bank comes up. If you've never met Jesus, you can. Like, if you're like, man, I've heard about this. Jesus is the pathway for me. I've heard that I'm sinful and, like, I need to align my life with him. Like, where does that come from? Like, here's the thing is that you are more sinful than you could ever dare to dream. You are. But Jesus came, and He died the death that you deserved. And so now, if you believe in Him, then you will become more accepted and loved by God than you could ever dare to dream. And it's on the basis of that, then, that we come to believe that God is good, and so now we want to pursue Jesus with our life. Because what does he say? What is the first disciples? He says what? Come and follow me. When you believe in Jesus that his God, that his death and resurrection applies to you and your life, then what do you do? You take a step to then follow him with yours.